the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. It just so happens to be June 6th, my birthday. More on that later in the show. Coming up, we're going to share the day's headline news and we'll talk with Don Marie Perez, executive director of Stand Up Girl Foundation, providing hope and courage. The Summer Family Fund fundraiser event, night at the baseball ballpark. Okay, that was a little redundant, but benefiting standupgirl.com. We'll talk about all the important details. You'll meet some Star Wars characters, enjoy a fireworks display, and support the work of Stand Up Girl. Don Marie Perez will join us in the five o'clock hour to tell us a bit about that. If you can't wait, you can purchase your tickets at the events page at standupgirlfoundation.org. We'll also talk with Jeff Johnston. He is the issues analyst for Focus on the Family on navigating Pride Month with the kids and other related subjects. Subjects. Uh, Focus on the Family has developed some uh, significant resources, and we'll talk about that with him uh, when he joins us later in the five o'clock hour as well. But first, some of the day's headlines. Well, Chris Christie is a long shot to win the 2024 Republican presidential nomination, but his entry today into the race is certain to deliver a much more combative primary. Now, uh, the last I had the television on, he was still speaking and hadn't actually announced that he's planning on running, but this was a town hall in which he was planning to do that. Well, the moderate um, former two-term New Jersey governor, who in 2016 failed in his first nomination try, is known for his willingness to throw a political punch. The former president, Donald Trump, who leads in national polls of Republicans, will be his uh, principal target. He was once a fan. No more. Christie filed his paperwork with the Federal Election Commission, establishing his candidacy this afternoon and uh, made a formal announcement, I assume by now, at uh, St. Anthony. Um, Anselm College. Uh, he plans to focus on New Hampshire, as he did in 2016, where independents can vote in primaries and more centrist Republicans are rewarded compared to uh, Iowa, which is dominated by social conservatives. Iowa and New Hampshire will start the GOP nomination process early next year, followed by South Carolina and Nevada. So the uh, list is growing. You'll recall earlier this week, the former vice president Mr. Pence has also thrown his hat into the ring. Well, the first Republican primary debate. Oh, can you believe we're June and we're talking about the first Republican primary debate? Well, the truth is it's coming up on August the 23rd, fewer than 12 weeks away. Will former President Donald Trump play ball and mix up, uh, mix it up with the uh, growing number of challengers? Could the debates uh, undermine his formidable lead? Well, these are all questions yet to be answered. The Republican National Committee has just announced the criteria candidates um, will have to meet in order to participate. For some, appearing on the debate stage will be their first chance to speak to a national audience for free. Well, the stakes are pretty high, as is always the case in a presidential race, especially when the front runner seems to be running away with the race. If you're a Republican vying for the presidency in 2024, it's hard to draw breath. Trump, as ever, is sucking all the oxygen out of the room. Well, the debates, consequently, 
loom large. The first will take place in Milwaukee and be broadcast by Fox News. The second will be staged at the Reagan Presidential Library in California. It hasn't been announced which network will broadcast that forum. To appear alongside their rivals in these slugfests and Make no mistake, it will be that. Candidates must meet various polling and money-raising targets, such as polling at a minimum of 1% in three nationwide non-affiliated polls and taking in donations from at least 40,000 unique supporters. Those hurdles uh, should be relatively easy for most of the folks in the race today. More problematic, candidates will also have to sign a loyalty pledge vowing to support the eventual nominee. Would Chris Christie agree to support candidate Donald Trump? Would Trump agree to back anyone at all? Well, he refused to make that commitment in 2016. Will he be more accommodating now? I doubt it, but we'll see what actually happens. More important to the entire undertaking, what if Trump, who is uh, leading by a wide margin, decides not to participate In late April, he said that no one had obtained his approval before scheduling the debates. Also, he asked, when you're leading by seemingly insurmountable numbers, his own words, and you have hostile networks with angry Trump and MAGA hating anchors asking the questions, why subject yourself to being libeled and abused? Well, from Trump's perspective, it's a reasonable question. What's the upside? Well, his appearance so far in the campaign have been largely before friendly audiences, including the CNN town hall moderated by Caitlin Collins. That's where he's um, at his best. Meanwhile, his debate history is checkered. Some, including, um, well, some, we'll just leave it at that, argue that he lost his 2020 presidential bid by torching the first presidential debate against Joe Biden. Um, it's been uh, said that his uh, coaches, including Chris Christie at the time, pushed him to get aggressive with Biden, hoping that he could draw an angry outburst from the former vice president, which might have cemented the view that he was uh, too old to run and undermine his nice guy image. Well, that didn't work. It was a disaster. Instead of boasting of his many accomplishments as president, Trump showed himself antagonistic, humorless and unlikable. I'll pause because I know what you're thinking. On the other hand, during the uh, 12 primary debates, 12 primary debates, Trump was able to translate his TV era notoriety into an ever stronger candidacy. He was sharp, combative and on top of the issues. Can he do that again? Well, at present, he has uh, everything to lose and little to gain. After all, he would be facing off against a slew of very capable candidates, including Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, former U.S. ambassador to the U.N. Nikki Haley, entrepreneur Vivek uh, Ramaswe and um, South Carolina Republican Senator Tim Scott. Also, Trump may probably correctly reckon that he personally would be the biggest draw for the audiences and would um, and wonder why he should deliver millions of viewers to his opponents. So all of that will be in the uh, in the math. These are reasonable concerns, except for this. His lead is not necessarily insurmountable and voters won't like his refusal to participate. So all of that to say that there are two debates already scheduled, the first in August whether or not the um, front runner will attend remains to be seen. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. 
is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. In our second hour today, a conversation with Don Marie Perez, Executive Director of Stand Up Girl Foundation. They're going to be at the ballpark. That's coming up on June the 23rd. You are invited. It's a Star Wars night. There's going to be fireworks, but you have an opportunity not only to enjoy the Hops versus Everett Aqua Socks, but you can support the work of Stand Up Girl Foundation. More details on that when she joins us, or you can go to the events page at StandUpGirlFoundation.org. We'll also talk with Jeff Johnston. He's the issue analyst, issues, plural, analyst at Focus on the Family on Navigating Pride Month with Your Kids. That's coming up uh, also in today's second hour. Well, House Conservatives on Tuesday blew up an effort by GOP leadership to advance several bills in a dramatic confrontation on the House floor. The result of a revolt against the debt limit deal cut by Speaker Kevin McCarthy and President Biden just days before. Eleven Republicans, most of whom are members of the conservative House Freedom Caucus, joined Democrats in voting against a rule to advance four bills related to gas stoves and regulatory reform. Enough opposition to tank the rule and block the legislation from advancing to the floor. Well, just before the vote closed, House Majority Leader Steve Scalise changed his vote to oppose the rule as well, a move that allows him to bring up the rule for another vote at a later time. The final vote was 206 to 220. The revolt made for a dramatic scene on the House floor where Scalise huddled with more than a dozen conservatives in the back of the chamber in a pretty tense effort to flip votes and allow the bills to advance to the floor. Well, the normally routine rule vote, which was scheduled to be only five minutes, went on for 50 minutes. The revolt was also a reality check for McCarthy, who's been taking a victory lap after Congress passed and Biden signed a bill to suspend the debt limit. That was the product of negotiations between House Republicans and the White House. We're frustrated at the way this place is operating. So says Representative Matt Gates, one of the conservatives who voted against the rule, speaking to reporters as the vote was still happening. We took a stand in January to end the era of imperial speakership, and we're concerned that the fundamental commitments that allowed Kevin McCarthy to assume the speakership have been violated as a consequence of the debt limit deal. And, you know, the answer for us is to reassert House conservatives as the appropriate coalition partner for our leadership instead of them making common cause with Democrats. Republican representatives Andy Biggs, Dan Bishop, Lauren Boebert, Ken Buck, and others uh, joined Gates and Scalise in the opposition. Well, the event today could have far-reaching implications for GOP leaders in the weeks and months ahead when they're hoping to pass a number of their priorities through the House, including energy policy and tax reform. And while Democrats had crossed the aisle to help McCarthy pass the rule um, governing the debt ceiling pr- uh, package, that vote was an anomaly fueled by Biden's endorsement of the package and the underlying urgency of preventing a default. So while uh, the speakership seems to be secure for the moment, being effective as speaker may be in jeopardy among these 11 and perhaps others as well. Meanwhile, the Southern Poverty Law Center that brands mainstream conservative and Christian organizations as hate groups, placing them on a map with chapters of the Ku Klux Klan, added a slew of parental rights organizations to that hate map for 2022 and labeled them anti-government groups. Schools especially have been on the receiving end of ramped up and coordinated hard right attacks frequently through the guise of parents rights groups, the SPLC Year in Hate and Extremism report claims. 
These groups were in part spurred by the right wing backlash of COVID-19 public safety measures in schools. But they have grown into an anti-student inclusion movement that targets any inclusion curriculum that contains discussions of race, discrimination and LGBTQ identities. The SPLC report does not once mention the left's aggressive promotion of sexualized material for children in schools and at other venues. It does not mention the drag queen story hour movement or the fact that many of the books which parents demand removed from school libraries include pornographic content. And when I say pornographic content, I mean just that, not just suggestive, but very graphic. It doesn't mention how many of the left champion the idea that children should be able to identify with a gender opposite their biological sex, hide that identity from their parents, and even obtain life-altering drugs without parental consent. Instead, it acts as though the parental rights movement emerged in a vacuum, or worse, is motivated by hatred. And again, the SPLC still holds a significant um, sway among some organizations looking to understand the culture. Meanwhile, the PGA Tour announced today that it's merging. Oh, yeah, you heard me correctly. It's merging with Saudi-backed Live Golf, or L-I-V Golf, in a shocking development intended to end the rivals' public hostilities and extensive ongoing litigation. Now, the parties agreed to combine their commercial businesses and uh, rights into a new entity, the name of which has not yet been released. Live Golf Investments, the firm spearheading the Live Tour, Live or whatever they call it, is um, supported by the Saudi regime's Sovereign Wealth Fund. Well, over the last year, the two entities have been entangled in multiple antitrust lawsuits, which will reportedly be quashed as part of the agreement. Golfers and fans who remain loyal to the PGA have attacked Live as um a so-called sports washing vehicle for the Saudi regime to distract from its extensive record of human rights abuses. After two years of disruption and distraction, this is an historic day for the game as we know it and love it, the PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan said in a statement. This transformational partnership recognizes the immeasurable strength of the PGA Tour's history, legacy, and pro-competitive model and combines it with the DP World Tour and Live, including the Team Golf concept to create an organization that will benefit golf players, commercial and charitable partners, and fans. Well, in June of last year, six-time golf champion Phil Mickelson He joined um, LIV despite criticizing the enterprise's ties to the authoritarian regime in an interview he claimed was off the record. Fellow major winner Dustin Johnson also signed a five-year deal with the organization for $100 million. A bit compelling. So whether or not the uh, players, the actual golfers, are willing to just shrug their shoulders and move on uh, will be uh, something to look for over the weeks and months ahead. Well, corporate boards long tasked with fiduciary responsibilities to their shareholders are scrutinizing how Target allowed itself to become embroiled in social scandal big enough to cause a nearly $15 billion loss in market cap. Shark Tank star investor Kevin O'Leary told Fox News on Monday in an interview, since the backlash over its pride merchandising controversy, Target's market value has fallen over $13 billion to 6024 billion. Uh, billion as of Monday's closing price. 
O'Leary's uh, O'Leary, rather head of O'Leary Ventures, said the future is likely to bring a complete change in how corporate America approaches certain concerns like the processes that led to Target's unprecedented cliff dive. On one hand, companies want to show their support of diversity and all mandates that society is discussing openly, he said, on Jesse Waters' prime time. On the other hand, the job of a business, particularly from the perspective of an investor and those that are retired, for example, that own the S&P 500 or own Target stock, are concerned that maybe they're losing their way in terms of what the prime objective is. Your customers, your employees and your shareholders. Well, a member of the powerful House Oversight Committee alleged on Monday that the FBI is afraid the informant accusing President Biden of having been involved in a criminal bribery scheme with a foreign national while vice president could be killed if unmasked based on the information he has brought forward about the Biden family. Representative Anna Paulina Luna, a Republican from Florida, wrote on Twitter following a closed briefing by the FBI for the committee. Luna said the FBI's worries were alarming and scary. Comer and Senator Chuck Grassley uh, were approached by the informant last month, alleging that the FBI was in possession of a document, the FD 1023 form dated June 3rd, uh, 30th, rather 2020, which explicitly detailed information provided by a confidential human source alleging Biden, while serving as vice president, was involved in a five million dollar criminal bribery scheme with a foreign national in exchange for influence over policy uh, decisions. A new bill introduced in the House of Representatives on Monday is aimed at making sure American consumers know the difference between fantasy and reality online by cracking down on generative artificial intelligence technology. Representative Richie Torres is leading the effort on the AI Disclosure Act of 2023, which would force AI-generated content to include the disclaimer. The disclaimer says this, this output has been generated by artificial intelligence. In a statement announcing the bill, Torres predicted that regulatory framework for managing the existential risk of AI will be one of the central challenges confronting Congress in the years and decades to come. Republican Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' presidential campaign began the week by taking aim at former President Donald Trump over his decision not to fire Dr. Anthony Fauci amid the coronavirus pandemic in 2020. A video the DeSantis campaign released on Monday showed multiple clips from Trump's days on the reality show The Apprentice, which the former president hosted from 2004 to 2015, and included scenes of him using his signature phrase, You're fired. Whenever a contestant was removed from the program, well, it compared those clips of him firing multiple contestants in which it labeled Trump reality TV Trump to clips of him repeatedly defending his decision not to fire Fauci, uh, in which he was labeled real life Trump. It's uh, going to be a long political season. The 11th Circuit Court of Appeals on Monday denied the Biden administration's request for a stay on an order blocking the implementation of a controversial policy that saw thousands of migrants released into the U.S. without a court date in the short time it was in place. The federal judge had blocked the administration's parole with conditions policy in May, a day after it was implemented amid a surge of migration to a historic highs just ahead of the end of Title 42 expulsions on the 11th of May. The administration has said that nearly 9,000 migrants were released in the time the policy was in place. The judge found that the policy, which saw migrants released into the U.S. without court dates and told to check in with Immigration and Customs Enforcement within 60 days, was materially identical to a separate policy that paroled migrants into the U.S., 
while enrolling them into alternatives to detention programs. The judge had blocked that policy in March in response to a lawsuit from Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody, who also filed in the May challenge. The denial marks another win for Moody, who secured first a temporary restraining order and then the preliminary injunction against the policy. The 11th Circuit Court of Appeals has refused to disturb an injunction Florida obtained against the Biden policy, allowing the mass release of illegal immigrants into the country, Moody said in a statement. Protecting our border is one of the most fundamental responsibilities of our president, and Florida will not allow Joe Biden and Secretary Mayorkas to continue putting American lives at risk in clear violation of federal law, end quote. Meanwhile, the administration is also facing legal challenges from both GOP-led states and civil rights groups targeting its asylum rule, which in theory bars most migrants from claiming asylum if they have entered illegally and failed to claim asylum in a prior country. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, Don Marie Perez, Executive Director of Stand Up Girl Foundation. They're going to be at the ballpark June 23rd. We'll tell you all about it when she joins us. We'll also speak with Jeff Johnston. He's the issues analyst for Focus on the Family. We'll talk about a tool available for parents on how to navigate Pride Month with their kids. Pride Month and beyond, by the way. Again, returning to headlines, a group of 11 House Republicans is sounding the alarm on Interior Secretary Deb Haaland's potential conflicts of interest related to an action she took last week restricting oil and gas drilling. The Republicans, led by Natural Resources Committee Chairman Bruce Westerman, uh, wrote to um, to her and top Interior Department ethics official Heather Gottry, expressing concern about how her and her family's past activism may have influenced the action. Well, on Friday, she finalized a ban on fossil fuel leasing within 10 miles of the Chaco Cultural National Historical Park in New Mexico. Under the standards of ethical conduct, federal government officials are required to recuse from particular matters involving specific uh, pa- um, parties, rather, where a person's uh, where a person with whom he has uh, a covered relationship is or represents a party to such matters unless authorized by the agency to participate. Well, that was a mouthful. That's what the Republican lawmakers wrote. Well, the letter noted that Howland had been involved with the Pueblo Action Alliance, a New Mexico based environmental and cultural group that had advocated against new leasing cleared um, near Chaco Canyon. Well, the executive director, Julia Bernal, boasted in 2021 that she met personally with Howland, whom she referenced as anti-Deb about the group's broad opposition to oil and gas leasing. Howland's daughter uh, has also worked with PAA and even lobbied on behalf of the group against new leasing near Chaco Canyon during the trip uh, late last year in Washington, D.C. In addition, the letter cited Howland's latest ethics filing, which showed her husband, uh, does consulting work for the Laguna Development Corporation, a firm that is affiliated with the Laguna Pueblo, an indigenous tribe. Well, like the PAA, the tribe has advocated in favor of a buffer zone around Chaco Canyon where new leasing would be banned. One of Congress's most essential duties is overseeing federal agencies and the cabinet secretaries who lead them. Uh, Westerman said in the statement, recently we've discovered concerning ties between Secretary Halland and the radical environmental and social justice advocacy group Pueblo Action Alliance, as well as other potential conflicts of interest from her household. She is required by law to disclose, end quote. 
Well, these alliances raise ethical concerns about the secretary's conflict of interest over specific activities like a recent decision to further restrict domestic oil and natural gas production at a site in New Mexico. He added the committee is calling on Secretary Hallen to shed light on these ties between her family and this extremist group so that we can determine the potentially unethical way these types of decisions are being made throughout the federal bureaucracy. Well, the Republicans letter concluded by listing a series of related questions about Hallen's ethical obligations and communications with PAA. House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer announced Monday that his panel will start proceedings to hold FBI Director Christopher Wray in contempt of Congress. The decision came after the FBI briefed Comer and Oversight Committee ranking member Jamie Raskin on Capitol Hill for more than an hour on Monday and offered them the chance to review a document that purportedly describes an allegation that Joe Biden accepted a bribe as vice president. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, who's running for president, rejected the notion that the only way for an African-American kid to be successful in America is to be an exception to the rule, arguing that racial progress has been palpable. Appearing on The View, Scott was asked by Sonny Hostin if he thinks America is systematically racist. Well, the South Carolina senator argued that progress can be measured and is born out of um, out if one looks at the statistics. In 1975, there were about 15% unemployment in the African-American community. For the first time in the country, it's under 5%, Scott said. He added that when his mother was born, about 10% of African-Americans got a high school diploma. Today, it's over 90%. Who are they calling the racists again? Well, National Review writes that Bakari Sellers, a CNN political commentator and former Democratic representative from South Carolina, condemned Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley as a white governor from the Deep South following a town hall hosted by the network on Sunday. Haley served as governor of South Carolina during a mass shooting, which led to the deaths of nine black churchgoers in 2015. She opted to remove the Confederate flag from the state capitol following the shooting, but Sellers attacked her for not removing the flag earlier in her tenure. But there also has to be some credit given to a white governor from the Deep South being able to go to nine funerals because I saw the exhaustion on her face being a leader during that time and being able to bridge the people together or bring them together. Sellers also said CNN anchor Caitlin Collins jumped in to correct the record shortly after Sellers finished saying she is the first woman of color that is running in this race. One year after its original release, the Daily Wire's What is a Woman documentary soared to new heights, prompted by a Twitter premiere that featured a dramatic triumph over social media censorship. The tweet of the 90-minute film, which features Daily Wire host Matt Walsh, asking tough questions underlying the gender ideology movement, has amassed more than 170 million views since being posted by the Daily Wire's Twitter account on Thursday, the first day of Pride Month, making it one of the most successful documentaries of all time. For comparison, an estimated 19.3 million viewers watched the final episode of HBO's Game of Thrones when it premiered in 2019. President Joe Biden's most recent State of the Union, 27.3 million people. And we're talking here about 170 million. Bring a complete stranger into your home to live with you and your family. Well, neither you nor the government know who the illegal immigrant is. For all you know, it could be a drug dealer or an addict or a terrorist because there are gang members amongst those who are genuinely looking for a refuge. Mayor Eric Adams wants regular New Yorkers to literally welcome migrants flooding the Big Apple by 
uh, revealing his latest idea to potentially put thousands of asylum seekers into private dwellings while paying local homeowners and landlords. Adams said moving migrants into private homes is the next step in the administration's blueprint to house the crush of homeless individuals after unveiling a new plan to house single migrant men in 50 churches, mosques and other houses of worship across the five boroughs. Since last spring, over 72,000 people have flooded into Gotham City with over 45,000 currently living in 160 taxpayer funded emergency shelters and hotels. Howard University law professor called on the United Nations to set up a reparations tribunal and explore options to offer some type of justice to black Americans for slavery. Justice uh, Justin Hansford, a Biden administration appointee to the U.N. Permanent Forum on People of African Descent, made the comments at the uh, second session of the organization last week. Hansford argued reparations should be framed as a type of justice or repair for black Americans rather than as a gift or charity. Embattled CNN chief executive Chris Licht apologized to the news organization staff on Monday morning during a cable news network's 9 a.m. Eastern time call. Licht told staffers he didn't recognize himself in the 15,000 word profile story in the Atlantic that was published on Friday. The story documented his views on CNN's coverage and his attempt at winning over staffing uh, staffers rather during his first year on the job. Some CNN staffers saw the uh, Licht magazine profile as showing poor judgment at a time when ratings are falling and employees are openly rebelling against his decision last month to air a Donald Trump town hall with hundreds of his cheering fans. Licht said during the call he understands staffers' frustration and is intent on earning his employees' trust, according to the people who were there. Internally, there has been considerable backlash to revelations about Licht in the story and to quotes he gave, including criticisms of the network's coverage of the coronavirus pandemic. A veteran producer at the network who spoke on the condition of anonymity because they were not authorized to comment described his decision to Participate in the profile, which Alberta spent months working on as a massive self-inflicted wound. Former Vice President Mike Pence filed paperwork Monday to launch a 2024 presidential bid, joining a growing field of candidates seeking to challenge former president and frontrunner Donald Trump for the Republican nomination and creating a highly unusual showdown between Trump and the man who once served as his number two in the White House. Pence uh, formally launched his campaign or actually, he will formally launch on Wednesday, although he's filed the paperwork already. According to the average of Republican primary election polling compiled by Real Clear Politics, Pence is averaging 3.8% support as of Monday afternoon. Trump's lead, 53.2%, followed by DeSantis at 22.4%. An NBC News poll released in April found that 70% of respondents said they did not want Biden to run for re-election, while 60% said that they did not want Trump to run for president. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, again, coming up in our second hour. We'll talk with Don Marie Perez, Executive Director of Stand Up Girl Foundation, and with Jeff Johnston, Issues Analyst for Focus on the Family, on navigating Pride Month with the kids. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Don Marie Perez, my guest, in the second hour of today's program, along with Jeff Johnston, Issues Analyst for Focus on the Family, on navigating Pride Month with your kids. That's all in the second hour of today's program. 
Well, an undergraduate student at the University of Cincinnati said that her women's gender studies professor failed her on an assignment for using the term biological woman, claiming that it is exclusionary. Well, yeah. The professor required students to select a topic related to feminism for a project, which used to be about biological women. The student, 20, decided to do a project on female athletes as biological male transgender athletes of infiltrated women's sports. In her proposal, she used the phrase biological women, which cost her her grade. She also said she had contacted the university's gender equity office, which told her it would have to it would um, have a difficult uh, a different professor, rather, review and grade her work, but she has yet to see her grade change nearly two weeks later. The student also claims this was uh, not the first time she's run into issues with her professor. She says that she was uh, rebuked when she pushed back during a class discussion and argued that generalizing all white men as having privilege is not fair. Border Patrol reported the seizure of $2 million worth of fentanyl in Arizona after a Border Patrol canine uncovered the stash. The amount of fentanyl seized in the stop totals the entirety of fentanyl seized in the Yuma uh, section during the fiscal year 2022. Just one, uh, one find. Chief Patrol Agent Patricia McGurk-Daniels says Yuma Sector Border Patrol agents found nearly $2 million worth of fentanyl at the checkpoint along Interstate 8 near Yuma. The narcotics totaled more than 192 pounds, enough to kill 48 million people. YouTube has reversed its policy on election fraud. And just like that, it's okay to talk about 2020 election fraud on YouTube. The platform quietly announced that it will no longer remove content that says unapproved things about the results of the last presidential election. In the current environment, YouTube said in a blog post, you find that while removing this content does curb some misinformation, it could also have the unintended effect of curtailing political speech. Oh, really? They've just come to that conclusion. Uh, you don't say YouTubers like Anthony Brian Logan eagerly await the removal of strikes over a commentary about the election. Well, the Saudis have bucked the Biden administration again. Among the first things Joe Biden did upon taking office was to hamstring American oil production, which led to the world under Donald uh, led the world rather under Donald Trump. The result was predictable and maddening. Gas rose from two dollars and thirty nine cents a gallon on Inauguration Day to as high as six, uh, rather $5.02 a gallon before setting back um, to $3.55 a gallon today. Well, Biden raided the Strategic Petroleum Reserve to help his uh, poll numbers, but he also went hat in hand to the Saudis to beg them to increase production. Not only did the Saudis decline to increase production, but they instead cut production. Now they're doing it again, announcing this week a reduction of one million barrels per day because Biden never carried through with his threats after the last cut. Weakness matters. Former President Donald Trump took some classified documents with him to his Mar-a-Lago estate in Florida. He probably shouldn't have done that, uh, though we'd also note that these physical documents at the very secured location, as opposed to sending classified emails over an unsecured server like the certain woman who will never be president. In any case, Joe Biden's FBI raided Trump's home and his Justice Department is looking into an incident all while overlooking Biden's own classified garage document, docudrama rather. Trump's uh, lawyers met with Justice Department officials on Monday, which likely means a decision on whether to pursue charges is imminent. Stay tuned. Oh, the drama.
How about some good, solid public policy and clear debate? I know I'm too hopeful. Normandy marks D-Day's 79th anniversary honoring World War II veterans. We'll talk more about that at the close of today's show. The FAA has green-lighted a plan to allow illegal immigrants to be housed at JFK Airport. Chris Tanunu passed on a presidential campaign. A Biden appointee is calling on the United Nations to create a new bar association to start a reparations process. And Oklahoma board has voted to approve an application for the nation's first publicly funded religious charter school. An economic ticking time bomb could go off in the middle of the 2024 presidential election. SEC has sued crypto exchange um, Binance. And former U.S. women's soccer players uh, lost 12 to 0 to a bunch of older British dudes in 40 minutes. A major dam in Ukraine is destroyed, unleashing wide-scale flooding. Potential disaster for a nuclear reactor as well. Well, on this day in history, 1925, the Chrysler Corporation is founded by Walter Percy Chrysler. 1933, the first drive-in movie theater is opened by Richard Hollingshead of Camden County, New Jersey. 1939, the first Little League game is played as Lundy Lumber defeats Lycoming Derry 23-8 in Wilmingsport, um, Williamsport, Pennsylvania. 1944, during World War II, Allied forces stormed the beaches of Normandy, France, on D-Day as they began the liberation of German-occupied Western Europe. 1956, a little brown baby is born, crying and slapped on the backside. It's my birthday. 1966, black activist James Meredith is shot and wounded while walking along a Mississippi highway to encourage black voters registration. 1978, California voters overwhelmingly approved Proposition 13, a primary ballot initiative calling for major cuts in property taxes. 1982, Israeli forces invade Lebanon to drive Palestine um, Liberation Organization fighters out of the country. 2002, President George W. Bush he announces the creation of a new cabinet department, the Department of Homeland Security. 2018, breaking with President Trump, House Speaker Paul Ryan says there is no evidence that the FBI planted a spy in the Trump 2016 presidential campaign. And finally, on this date, also in the year 2018, President Trump commutes the life sentence of Alice Marie Johnson, who had spent more than two decades behind bars for drug offenses. Her cause had been championed by reality TV star Kim Kardashian West at the time. Well, we've got news and traffic coming up here in just a few moments. But when we return in the uh, second hour, we'll have a conversation with Don Marie Perez. She is executive director of Stand Up Girl Foundation. If you're unfamiliar with StandUpGirl.com, this is one of the most effective pro-life outreach uh, works in the world. And the numbers that they reach on a regular basis is really quite staggering. They provide hope and courage and direction for those in an unplanned, unwanted pregnancy. Uh, the Summer Family Fun event is coming up the night at the baseball park, benefiting StandUpGirl.com Foundation to provide new hope to women in crisis pregnancies. It's going to have a Star Wars theme on June the 23rd, and there's going to be fireworks. 7.05 is when it all starts, and you'll have the opportunity to meet some of these Star Wars characters, although I think they might just be costumed imposters. Just saying. And enjoy a fireworks display. Hops versus Everett Aqua Socks. 
Ticket purchases can go to the, uh, or I should say, you can go to the events page at StandUpGirlFoundation.org, and your ticket will help to support uh, this very effective pro-life work. We'll also talk with Jeff Johnston. He is the issues analyst for Focus on the Family on Navigating Pride Month. Focus on the Family has developed some really meaningful resources to not only uh, provide uh, information for parents, but to help them to recognize what's age appropriate when talking about uh, subjects of mature nature with young people. And so we're going to talk more about that um, in just a few uh, in just a few moments in my conversation with him. So we are uh, are looking forward uh, to that. Let's see. I'm looking for a story here that I wanted to. Yeah, here we go. I think we have just another minute or so. The White House Press Secretary, Corinne Jean-Pierre, sidestepped and at times grew heated on Tuesday during a line of questioning regarding President Joe Biden's repeated public falls. There's some concern, as you probably know, about his age. Now, anyone can fall, but the older you are, the more frail you might be in a fall. It's a legitimate question, and people are drawing their own conclusions. Well, during her daily press briefing with the White House press pool, a reporter asked her about the 80-year-old president on stage fall on Thursday after handing out the last diploma at the Air Force Academy's graduation ceremony in Colorado. Now, he had been up for a, a, quite a long period of time. Uh, Biden quipped that he got sandbagged after catching himself um, with his hands and walking back to his seat unassisted. It's absolutely true that any one of us could trip over an object just happens to be in your path. Nonetheless, we've all observed the difficulty this president has in certain settings. The um, journalist asked uh, steps are one of them. And of course, there was no sandbag in his path on the steps up to Air Force One. And not any of those occasions, the reporter said. Well, the reporter then seemed to recall how Biden slightly stumbled down a flight of stairs and so on. Well, the White House press secretary was not particularly pleased with the line of questioning uh, and became angry. It was a rather contentious exchange as she began to close her uh, binder to leave the podium. The reporter interjected that she didn't seem to answer the question. Isn't that what um, uh, what's important? And again, the exchange uh, did not go well. We've got news and traffic here at the top of the hour and then conversations with the executive director, Don Marie Perez and Jeff Johnston, issues analyst for Focus on the Family. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, if you're looking for something fun to do this summer with a purpose, I've got a suggestion. Joining us to talk about that is Don Marie Perez. She is executive director of Stand Up Girl Foundation, providing hope and courage. And we want to invite you to the Summer Family Fun fundraising event, a night at the baseball ballpark. We'll talk with uh, Don Marie about that. Uh, That's coming up, by the way, on the 23rd of June. It's also Star Wars night. There are going to be fireworks, lots of stuff going on. But the most important thing, it's an opportunity for you to support the work of Stand Up Girl Foundation. Don Marie Perez, welcome. Thank you, Georgine. Thank you for having me back. Well, this sounds like a really fun night that's coming up on June the 23rd. Tell us a little bit about this partnership and how people who come to the game can support the the work. Um, Well, the Hawks have been gracious enough to give us a block of seats behind the first base dugout. And we're inviting families to come and enjoy the baseball game against the Everett Aquasox. And it starts at 7.05 at um, the Hillsborough Hawks Stadium, which is Ron Tonkin Stadium in Hillsborough. 
And it's also Star Wars night. So there are Star Wars characters are going to be roaming around for everyone to meet. And if you've ever um, been to a hops game and participated in the fireworks, they have an amazing fireworks show right over the ball field at the end of the game. There's a kid zone out in the outfield for the little ones who get bored during the game and you can go play in the kid zone and they have inflatables and games. And it's just a really wonderful place for families to get together, enjoy a night at the ballpark and um, a portion of the proceeds from your tickets go straight to seeing that girl to help us to continue our um, bright course training, which is a free online courses available um, from um, how do I tell my parents I'm pregnant all the way through parenting uh, the strong-willed child and into um, young adulthood for kids. And they're just a wonderful set of free courses that we like to offer. And we're trying to get our Spanish subscriptions so we can offer them in English and Spanish. Oh, excellent. Now, for listeners who aren't familiar with StandUpGirl.com, this is one of the most effective pro-life uh, works in the world. And I can say that with confidence because I'm very aware of how this is reached all around the world and connecting um, girls and women who find that they are pregnant, uh, might be pregnant, and to provide for them sound uh, advice and direction on what to do next. Uh, can you give just a little bit of background there for those who aren't familiar with StandUpGirl.com? So in our mind, Stand Up Girl is nothing short of a miracle. Um, we were founded in 2001, and the website reaches nearly 450,000 young people each month, over 4 million a year, with um, pregnancy support information. We have fetal development photography, lifelike illustrations, videos, chat rooms, um, email support, text counseling, a whole YouTube channel full of videos to um, provide hope and courage for um, someone who is maybe in a crisis and not wasn't really expecting to be pregnant right now in their life. And we try to offer them the hope and courage to move forward, choose life for their child, and give them the resources they need to be successful as not only a parent, but just successful as um, a family moving forward. And so that's what we're, what we're really all about. Um, we were established here in Oregon um, but we service um, the entire world because we're on the Internet. And um, it's just amazing how each month um, our, we continue to have people come from all over the world looking for help. And we have a um, pregnancy symptoms form on our website. And we are averaging 8,600 submissions of that every month. And last month, those came from 97 different countries around the world. Um, so uh, when we say we're really just a miracle, we're just a very small staff and a group of volunteers working to provide life-affirming resources and support to women all over the world. You know, it really is miraculous and such an incredibly effective uh, ministry. So I just support you all wholeheartedly, and I'm so grateful for what you do. And uh, I'm happy to encourage our listeners to take advantage of a summer family fun event that helps to uh, underwrite the cost of of Stand Up Girl uh, through the foundation. Now, again, we're talking about the Star Wars night. There are going to be fireworks. This is June 23rd. Everything starts at 7.05. You can meet Star Wars characters and, again, enjoy that fireworks display. It's Hops versus the Everett Aqua Socks. And uh, I think the hops are going to beat the socks off the Everett. But anyway, it's a whole other thing. 
<laughs> now, the best Absolutely. way <laughs> the best way for our listeners to purchase tickets is through your website, so that you uh, can benefit from their uh, their being at the game. Yes. Yeah, so, if you go to standupgirlfoundation.org dot and click on the events tab on the homepage, they'll take you right to. Um, the information about the event, and there's a link there to pay for the tickets. And when you pay for the tickets online, the hops immediately take a portion of that and put it in our account, and they'll distribute a check to us after the game. You know, throughout the summer, families are trying to come up with things that they can do as a family that the kids will enjoy, the adults will enjoy, and this is the perfect fit for a uh, a summer night. Again, June 23rd, and that will be at the um, Hillsborough Stadium where the hops play, and there'll be a uh, versing the Everett Aqua Sox, 7.05 is when everything starts, and you are invited not only to come and enjoy the game, but to support uh, Stand Up Girl Foundation and go to their website where you can purchase your ticket, StandUpGirlFoundation.org. Now, while I still have you on the phone, I want to give our listeners a heads up as well. In October, you have a fundraising gala. Can you tell us just a little bit about that? We'll talk uh, more about it when we get closer to the date, but I want to encourage them to mark their calendars. Thank you, Georgine. Yes, on um, Thursday, October 5th at the Oregon Golf Club, which is in Westland, we are having a gala event, which is our one time of the year that we're doing an, an in-person fundraiser, a large fundraiser to help us fund um, the activities that we do to be able to reach out to girls around the world. And right here in Oregon, um, we will have um, hosted tables. You can come as a couple or individuals. We are working on who our keynote speaker is going to be, but it should be a wonderful night to get together, um, bring some friends, learn more about Santa Girl. And if you haven't been to the Oregon Golf Club, the view of Mount Hood is just incredible, and we just love going to there. They're very gracious in working with us and helping us keep our costs down. And we are also looking for corporate sponsorship for that event because we would like every dollar at the event to go towards our life-saving ministry versus covering the cost of the event. So if you even have a business or know of a business owner who would be willing to help us um, cover the cost of funding the event, so all the money, 100% of the proceeds go towards our life-saving mission, you can contact us at 503-554-5683, or you can email us at director at standupgirl.com. And we'd be happy to give you more information. That information can also be found on the events link on the StandUpGirlFoundation.org website. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I hope folks will take the time to go to the website, learn more about Stand Up Girl if they don't already know, and purpose to come alongside and to support what I believe is to be one of the most incredible pro-life uh, works in our uh, in our not only in our community but around the world. Well, Don Marie Perez, always a pleasure to talk with you. Once again, we want to encourage our folks to join you on the twenty third of June, where the uh, Hops will verse the Everett Aqua Sox uh, for a great fun night. You can uh, purchase your tickets through StandUpGirlFoundation.org dot org and support the work that they uh, that they do. Don Marie, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Georgine. Have a great day. And God bless you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye bye. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment to hear from Jeff Johnston. He's the issues analyst for Focus on the Family on navigating Pride Month with your kids. That's coming up next on The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. 
Well, June has been dubbed LGBTQ Pride Month, and corporations spend thousands of dollars every year to make it abundantly clear this is the month we're in. Well, kids of all ages, well, they're going to be asking questions. What is Pride Month? It often leaves parents confused about what to tell their kids. Well, Jeff Johnston, he's a culture and policy analyst for Focus on the Family. He says it's important to bring up the LGBT issue with kids and parents just can't bury their heads in the sand. It's not a matter of if children will encounter LGBTQ issues, but when they will. And Christians must respond with grace, truth and courage. Well, Focus on the Family, unsurprisingly, has provided some resources to help parents navigate this rather challenging landscape. And here to talk with us about that is Jeff Johnson, the Issues Analyst for Focus on the Family. I am so grateful that you are here with us today. Thank you. Hey, Georgine. Thanks for having me on the broadcast. I appreciate this. One of the things I want to commend Focus on the Family for, and it's not unusual, it's not out of character, is the emphasis on grace, truth, and courage. All three are necessary uh, as parents to navigate this landscape and to help kids to understand uh, what's happening and for them to respond. So I commend you and focus on the family for making that point. Thank you. Um, you know, I used to just talk about grace and truth, but given where the world is today, you really need courage. And I think all of us need wisdom in there as well. If I can add a fourth component that Christians should really ask God for as we're addressing this issue in our families and with our culture. Yeah, absolutely. Well, unsurprisingly, Focus on the Family has provided resources that are balanced, that provide information for parents to help them navigate how to choose the right words, when, what age group is appropriate, how much detail to go into, and so on. And uh, those resources are available to parents. Can you talk a little bit about this, just this area in general, and how Focus on the Family is helping to equip parents? Sure. Well, I write for The Daily Citizen which is Focus's culture and policy outlet. And you can find um, those articles at thedailycitizen.org. But over the years, I've also helped to prepare some resources, like how to talk to your children about homosexuality, or when transgender issues enter your world, or teach your children about marriage. I mean, how many of us would have even thought 40 years ago, I have to be very intentional to teach my children that God created us male and female and that marriage is between a husband and wife. I mean, most of us would have thought, well, they'll just kind of pick it up for me and my wife and maybe people at church. But now you have to give your kids a foundation on these issues. You, uh, They need to know the truth so that they can see what's in front of them that's false. And so they can make that distinction. And so we start out by encouraging parents to lay a really solid foundation by talking to little kids. You're a boy. That's a good thing. You're my daughter. I love you. You're a girl. That's terrific. And boys and girls are different, but they're both good. And you talk to your kids about what marriage is, how God designed marriage to be to bring together a husband and wife. And part of that is so that they could have families and that children really need both their mom and their dad. So you're not talking to your children about sex initially. You're just talking to them about basic issues, about relationships and God's good design. And then as they grow, of course, They'll have more questions. They might have questions about uh, when they see pride flags or all the you know false rainbows that are all over the place. And then you can begin to delve into some of those deeper questions as they get older. And I think parents need to know, too, this is not just a one-time conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Um, this has to be ongoing with their, your children, asking them questions, listening, and bringing up issues yourself as your children come across these things. And some of the resources I mentioned, if you go to the dailycitizen.org, uh, we just added this this week. At the top of the page, there's a um, parenting resources tab, and there's a drop-down menu, and it gives information. There's a link to pride resources. How do I talk to my kids about LGBT pride? Uh, homosexuality, transgenderism, and sexuality and marriage. So there's a lot of resources that we've created and linked to, and you can find those right on the top of the page there. So it's pretty easy for parents to find those. And they give good ideas for talking to children at all different ages about these complicated issues. Yeah, I was going to mention, I appreciate that you offer age-appropriate material for a a preschooler or two- to five-year-old uh, elementary school, middle school, high school, and beyond, so that parents can uh, can keep the conversation fitting uh, to the age of the, the children that they're speaking to. I think for, for many parents, um, we want to preserve the innocence of children as long as possible, and we imagine by avoiding certain issues, we can do that. We also might be uncomfortable uh, talking about those issues because we don't really have much understanding of them either. And so this resource that you're referencing can not only help parents have conversations with their children, but to better understand as an adult uh, what's happening in the culture so that we are prepared to have that uh, that ongoing, that long conversation that may span the entire life of a child uh, in the 21st century. You're, you're right. What we've tried to do is explain to parents, this is what the Bible says about these issues, and give you ideas for how to talk to your children at different ages. Um, you know, you're not going to talk to a four-year-old the same way you would talk to a teenager. But then we've also d- uh, tried to explain to them what's actually happening in the culture. What is sexual orientation? What is gender identity? Um, these false ideologies that have been developed and that most of us take for granted that we know, but they're not biblical um, realities. They're not biblical truths. And so we try to explain the biblical truth first and then uh, explain what's going on in the world so that people can see the contrast and then give them uh, language to talk to their kids about this at all these different ages. And I want to mention, too, I was was talking to a friend recently, and she said, you want, if you're a parent, you want to be the first one to talk to your child about an issue, because they're going to remember what the first person Mm. that told them something said about this. So you want to be the one to teach them about marriage. You want to be the one to teach them about being male and female. You want to teach them about being made in the image of God before they encounter their things, these things. And again, they will encounter them. You want to protect them as much as possible, and we do encourage that. Um, but you want to talk, be talking about God's good design first so that they have that foundation deep in their hearts as they're learning about these issues and as other people bring things up to them. But again, you want to be the first one to talk to them about these things. There's nothing as reassuring to a child as knowing they can discuss these kinds of issues with their parents, that their parents are available that they're not uncomfortable and they don't shy away from these sometimes serious and sober conversations. So creating an environment in your home in which your children know I can ask my mom about that. I can talk to dad about that is such a healthy thing uh, for a child. You know, we're living in a culture that is increasingly uh, uh, intent on sexualizing children at younger and younger ages, whether we're talking about the clothing that's made available to them or what's happening in libraries all across the country in which 
uh, shows that are uh, inappropriate for adults are now being foisted on children. Talk a little bit about what's at stake here. If a parent um, is unwilling to or would prefer not to deal with these issues in the home, would prefer not to be the one to bring these subjects up, despite the fact that they will be brought up to these children at some point somewhere, whether that's in public school or just in the culture in general. What's at stake if we fail to respond correctly uh, and seize the opportunity to influence our own sons and daughters? Well, what's at stake is vital. It's your child's beliefs. It's their thoughts. It's their emotions. There's a, a, a verse in Song of Solomon that says, do not awaken um, sexuality or love before it's time. And what's happening in the culture is that these adult ideas about sexuality are being placed on young children. Um, I know in Colorado, uh, we've mandated that in public schools, it, when you're teaching social study, from kindergarten to 12th grade, you have to talk about LGBT-identified individuals, which means that five-year-olds are being introduced to adult sexual issues. And they're not made to bear that weight. It's confusing. It arouses that sexuality too early. And so, you know, you're playing with kids' hearts and souls at this point. And so if, if you're not willing as a parent to do it, they're going to hear it someplace else, whether it's on a cartoon or in school or advertising, or they see something on a magazine cover, they're going to get it other other places. So we have to be bold. That's where the courage comes in. You have to, you know, you have to bring this up. You have to be proactive and intentional. And that does mean getting equipped and educated on these issues and thinking through ahead of time. Now, if your child does encounter something and your first response is anger, Um, you need to talk to, which might, you know, you might be angry at the school. You need to reassure your child. I'm not angry at you. Mm -hmm. Angry that somebody's telling you something that's not true. That's what I'm angry about. And we, we have to look at our own hearts. I know I have to do this periodically as I'm even researching this, these issues. Children can tell if you have hatred or contempt towards somebody, they're going to pick that up. So we need to ask God to have his heart for people even as we're dealing with these false ideologies that are so prevalent in the public square. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. We're talking this afternoon with Jeff Johnston. He works as an issues analyst at Focus on the Family, writing and teaching about marriage, homosexuality, and gender, as well as encouraging and equipping Christians to engage the culture on these issues. We'll continue our conversation in just a moment, so stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Jeff Johnston. He works as an issues analyst for Focus on the Family, writing and teaching about marriage, homosexuality and gender, as well as encouraging and equipping Christians to engage the culture on these issues. He regularly shares his story of struggling as a Christian with same-sex attractions and how God brought healing and change to his life. And before working at Focus on the Family, he served as the director of Regeneration, a ministry dedicated to providing resources and support for men and women who experience same-sex attraction, their loved ones, and for churches and ministries. He graduated Phi Beta Kappa from San Diego State University with a bachelor's degree in English and a teaching credential. He and his wife, Judy, they have been married for 20 years. They have three teenage sons. And we are so grateful for his work and the work of Focus on the Family in providing relevant, timely resources that are biblically based to help parents navigate this sometimes challenging landscape that we're living in. I think for many parents, uh, Jeff, 
it's overwhelming to consider the onslaught that the culture is bringing. This is one area of concern, but there are so many areas that that parents do seem overwhelmed. Can you just speak to this sense that uh, at every side, at every turn, there's some new challenge for parents that our parents and grandparents never had to face, and it, it can feel overwhelming? I think you're absolutely right. And I think part of the reason why this feels overwhelming is because this isn't just happening in the natural world by itself. We have an enemy who hates us, and and, and Jesus tells us that the enemy, the thief, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so we're seeing this in so many different areas where children are being um, taught about abortion as something that's good, or they're being taught about homosexual relationships as something that's a positive thing. And it's the enemy behind this. I mean, there are people behind it, too, and people who drive this. But a lot of this, I think the the spiritual forces have ramped up in, mm-hmm. in many ways. It can feel overwhelming, which is why we need to be equipped and prayerful. Um, we need to look at our own hearts. I think, too, that as we pray about this issue, I really believe there's going to be um, a harvest of people who have struggled with their sexual identity and their sexual attractions and behaviors that, you know, God loves people who are sexually broken. Yes. And so as Christians, we got to remember that too, and that there is hope that people leave this. And I think we're going to see a harvest, but will the church be equipped to bring healing and deliverance and transformation to people who are broken? So that's why I, I want people to be prepared now for that harvest that I believe God is going to bring of people who have struggled with sexual brokenness. Yeah, that's so, so true. I know for many parents, in fact, just in the last two weeks, uh, I have spoken with parents with very young children and children who are not so young who are struggling with their sexual identity. They have been influenced by the culture uh, and may not even understand the declarations that they're making in, in some cases. What do you say to the parent who's already in this struggle in that a son or daughter is conflicted about their own sexuality. They've announced that they are non-binary or that they are same-sex attracted or that they believe themselves to be something other than their biological sex. Well, the first thing we do is encourage parents to get help for themselves first. Um, it's the adage about, you know, putting on your oxygen mask when you're in the airplane mm-hmm. before you help your child put on their mask. So um, parents, um, this can be gut-wrenching. It can be grievous when our children are struggling with sexuality issues. I know there's a sense of loss and different emotions. There can be anger. And so parents, um, you're going to need good counsel. You're going to need people around you who support you and love you. And then as much as possible, we encourage parents to maintain a healthy, strong relationship with their child who's struggling with these issues, while at the same time standing for the truth. What I've seen more and more in the last 10 and 20 years is uh, Christian parents and churches caving in on the issue of homosexuality and saying, well, maybe, you know, this is a good thing and this is who God made them to be. No, this is a false identity. That's another thing. We encourage people to not label your child at a young age as gay or queer or gender, you know, non-binary or non-conforming. Don't label your child that way. God made us in his image, male and female. There's two types of human beings. And that's a big lie from the culture that your identity comes from your sexuality and attractions. So we encourage parents to get help for themselves 
and then get wise counsel about how to work with their children. And it's going to be different at different ages. You know, if it's an adult child, you're going to respond differently than if it's a teenager. Um, and if it's a teenager or an adolescent, we encourage you not to buy into the world's ideology that says this is who your child is. And if you don't affirm them, you're harming them because that's a lie. That's not true. If you affirm them in this, you will be helping them move towards destruction. And we know that sin is damaging and it's disfiguring and it's destructive. And we want to protect our children from that. So we don't want to push them towards this or affirm them as they're moving towards sin. And and honestly, Georgine, this, this is a hard balance um, to be loving, to be strong, to hold on to the truth, to be courageous as you're facing these issues, to get help for yourselves. That's a lot for parents. And again, that's why we've created a number of resources that focus on the family and the daily citizen. Because if you're dealing with this in your family, you need more than me talking about this on the radio for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. You need some resources that you can read and think about and pray about, things you can hold in your hand that will give you support. And you need people around you who are loving you and giving you support as well. Again, the daily, um, the daily, I can't even read my own writing. Could you tell us again? <laughs> the daily citizen dot org. Correct. Yes. The daily citizen dot org. Again, excellent resources there for parents and aunts and uncles and grandparents who love their children and want to do what's in their best interest. And more importantly, what's right. Uh, I know for many parents, there's a fear that if they resist a pronouncement by a child who uh, may be told in school, you shouldn't tell your parents that we're going to treat you one way here and you're going to treat you. Uh, your parents may treat you differently. They may fear that they're going to lose their parental rights over their children. There's just a lot of fear around this issue and standing firm and with courage um, may threaten uh, the loss of um, of parental uh, oversight, custodian care over over your children. Can you address that as parents are uh, trying desperately to do what's right on behalf of their children in a culture that increasingly is trying to turn the children away from them and to force the parent to conform to this new ideology. Well, well, you're right. And a lot of this is coming from public schools. Um, a lot of it is coming from the Department of Education and this administration, which is pushing this ideology on local schools. It's coming from state legislatures that say you have to be transgender affirming and they bought into this ideology and you have to create safe spaces for children. We created a resource a while back. It's called Back to School for Parents. And it examines what's happening in schools, in um, comprehensive sex ed, in the classroom, in the libraries, in health clinics and counseling offices. And in each area, we give um, guidance for talking to your child about these issues. And then we also give guidance for dealing with the school or dealing with the state legislature or the school board, whichever is appropriate at that point. So I know that can feel overwhelming too, but it's a free downloadable resource available at the dailycitizen.org and it's called Back to School for Parents. And we encourage parents to get equipped. One of the things we list in those resources are some of the legal aid groups like uh, Alliance Defending Freedom or First Liberty or Liberty Council. And they're actually beginning to file lawsuits against schools which are pushing kids towards transgenderism behind their parents' backs. And I'm, I'm hopeful that some of those law schools or those lawsuits will uh, begin to open the eyes of some of these school administrators and saying, I might be liable 
if I start pushing a child in this direction, um, it's been part of U.S. law for years that children are parents' responsibility and they have the best interests of their children at heart. But what we're seeing from the culture is, no, 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 the schools know best, the experts know best, the technocrats know best. Um, that's not that's not true. You know your child, you love him or her, and you need to be an advocate for your child. Um, talk to them about these things and be an advocate at the school level. Absolutely. Once again, you can avail yourself of these Focus on the Family resources at thedailycitizen.org. And again, to provide you with the resources you need to know what's age appropriate, how to address the issues to better equip yourself to understand them and then to uh, be able to communicate well with your sons and daughters. Uh, Again, I am so grateful, Jeff Johnston, for the work that you're doing for Focus on the Family and for helping to provide the resources that parents need to navigate a very difficult culture, but one uh, that God is still sovereign over. And so we can trust in him and uh, do what's what he's charged us to do in um, caring for and providing for our kids. Georgine, I appreciate you um, equipping and educating your audience about these issues. These are important things, and I'm glad you're doing this work. So thank you for having me on the broadcast. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Again, Jeff Johnston works as the issue analyst for Focus on the Family. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, today marks the anniversary of D-Day. It occurred on June the 6th. 1944. It may not be an official holiday, but it deserves reverence akin to that of Memorial Day. So writes Dakota Wood, reflecting back on this historic occasion. She writes that on rare occasions, history records an event so extraordinary in its scope and significance that it serves as a reference point for everything that follows the survival of nations, whether people are free or enslaved and whether opportunity or despair will be the lot of the average man or woman. Such events determine the path of humanity for a very long time, sometimes measured in centuries. The Greek victory over the Persians and uh, Salamis in 480 B.C. is one such event. The massive cross-channel invasion of Allied forces, since known as D-Day, that took place on the 6th of June, 1944, was another. In the five years that preceded it, Europe had been thrown into convulsions as Adolf Hitler's war machine raged across the continent. In the days, weeks, and months that followed D-Day, victory was assured, though at unknown additional cost, accompanied by a future that did not include domination by the Nazi regime. But that day itself, the beginning of Operation Overlord, first had been um, had to happen, and it had to be successful. If it had failed, then the future of Europe, and likely much of the world, would have been very dark for a very long time. By mid-1944, a slew of countries had been conquered, occupied, or severely damaged by Germany. Austria, Belgium, Czechoslovakia, Denmark, Estonia, France, Greece, Hungary, Italy, Latvia, Lithuania, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, Norway, Poland, Russia, San Marino, Ukraine, and Yugoslavia. Great Britain had held out with sheer determination and the aid of essential American military support against the onslaught of German air power. Even North Africa was embroiled as German forces rampaged across Egypt, Libya, Tunisia, Algeria, and Morocco. Germany kept a stranglehold on the Mediterranean and sank more than 3,000 merchant ships in the Atlantic with a loss of 60,000 civilians and military personnel before Allied navies managed to gain the upper hand. D-Day, June 6, 1944, changed all of that. 
It was a singular event, to be sure, but just the tip of a much fuller story. The Herculean effort of D-Day was the physical, visible manifestation of America's human and industrial potential harnessed for war in the years that preceded it. The landings on Normandy beaches and the Allied push into occupied France involved more than 5,000 ships, nearly 200,000 troops, 4,500 bombers and 3,800 fighters. The vast majority contributed by America. The military power assembled from across the United States, Canada and Great Britain represented the forces of good determined to defeat the forces of evil and the commitment of the United States to this cause. The losses of human life were considerable amounting to some 3,400 killed or missing on that day alone. Over the next month, the United States and its allies would suffer 22,000 casualties. The effort committed to D-Day opened a gateway to Europe through which flowed an almost incalculable amount of equipment, material, goods, and above all, people invested in liberating captured territories and defeating the German army. It couldn't have been known at the time, but D-Day also set the condition to keep at at least half of Europe free following the defeat of Germany when the Soviet Union moved to dominate as much of Europe as it could at the end of the war and would do for a half a century thereafter. Investments in freedom are never without enduring value, but they also never come without significant cost, sometimes quite painful cost, often measured in lives. June 6, 1944, showed the best of free peoples, free markets, and representative government. It manifested the spirit of all of those, all of these, and the sacrifice often needed to preserve liberty. Though D-Day 1944 occurred nearly 80 years ago, it offers lessons we should pay attention to today. Russia's assault on Ukraine, Iran's obsession with acquiring nuclear weapons and the destruction of Israel— and China's relentless pursuit of hegemony hint at the sort of world envisioned by Hitler. D-Day showed what might be required to prevent such a future from taking root. Fortunately, D-Day also showed the spirit of America in the boys of uh, Point du Hoc and their brothers who stormed the beaches and cliffs of Normandy, displaying a spirit that still pervades and undergirds America, though not without attention and our own investment. Let that spirit die, either from lack of care or investment, and we'll have the dark world of Nazi Germany. But the, but nurture it and celebrate it, and we'll have the world defended and advanced by those who made D-Day a success. Holidays exist to serve as moments of reflection, to provide us with something to think about that's important and worthwhile. This 79th anniversary of D-Day may not be a formal holiday, but it certainly warrants the same consideration We give to Memorial Day and to our own Independence Day when Americans take stock of who and what we are and what it takes sometimes to preserve the things we cherish. I think about the sons and brothers and fathers who lost their lives on that day alone, not to mention throughout that major conflict. I am saddened and I am grateful for their willingness to make sacrifice. And it challenges me to do the same. Well, 1944 on June 6th was D-Day. June 6th, 1956 was B-Day. Well, it's my birthday today. I'm celebrating my 67th year. Now, I know, I know I'm a middle-aged woman. You're not supposed to say how old you are. You're supposed to shrink back and pretend like you're younger than you actually are. As if you were ashamed that God gave you 67 years of life. Every year I mention that my brother... Just weeks after his 16th birthday, drowned 
in a river not far from here, the Sandy River. And when I reflect back, it it was 16 years and about two weeks, and that the Lord has given me 67 years. I can do little but express my gratitude that God has given me long life. Now, I have to tell you, my brother was a Christ follower, and I know that uh, I will see him again. I know that God has prepared a place for him, that there will be a reunion. So I, I don't grieve that eternal loss. I grieve the loss of the man that he might have become. But I'm also more grateful today than I might have been if he were still with us. I recognize that life is fleeting and that we need to be grateful and to try to use every moment that we do have for the glory of God, to honor him, to do what is right, to stand firm on the things that we are called to do. It can be a challenge, but this 67-year-old woman who came to faith in Christ as a young girl, having failed and fallen and repented and stood up again, I can say that God is good, that God is faithful, that I am grateful. And I would encourage you, as you reflect on your life, to come to the same conclusion that all my life, he has been faithful. All my life, he has been so, so good. And this 67-year-old broad is grateful. Well, we are out of time. James Blend is today's producer, Dave King, engineer. Thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.